Friends, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, a very special birthday edition, as we just mentioned, Joy's birthday. Ray, welcome. Joy, welcome. Sandrine, welcome. Donna, welcome. Sarah was here a moment ago. She dropped off. I'm sure she'll be back on. Um, okay, so it is great to see everyone on this Tuesday, December 28th, 2021, just a few days away from the new year. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about. I was talking with my son, the bar mitzvah boy. I don't know how long he's called the bar mitzvah is there, is there like a time frame for how long he's called the bar mitzvah boy? I mean, because like at this point, he had his bar mitzvah. And like, is that... Until your next one. Until the ah, until the wedding or until the next one. Okay. Where's Shia? Shia? Are you, do you hear that? Right, right till the next when one. Two years? Shia is... 10 and his birthday is August um, last day of August so it's um, August is the eighth month so it's uh, it's about two and a half years two and a half years he's still he's still got a while he's still we're not rushing him um, I'm looking here we have in our house we have on the wall big pictures of the kids I'm looking at the kids to see how they've oh, gotten yeah. older. We wanna, can we see how there's a new one? You know what? I didn't put up all the new ones. I have, okay, it's a, don't judge me. I have, so there's six pictures, right? You guys want to see what this looks like. Right. You see that? Can you guys see that? Oh. Yes, yes, from far. Okay, yeah, so we have basically three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So the bottom row has all, has all new pics. The top row is still the old pics. You're going to ask me why. I know you're going to ask me why, but the answer is very mundane. It's just a little harder to take those off the wall and switch them out. So we've been pushing it off. Meanwhile, the top, I'm, not that I'm comparing kids, but the top shelf kids are like, the top row kids, sorry, are uh, like, when do we get our new pictures? So it's going to happen. I'm glad that they're all in a room somewhere else doing their thing. They're not listening to this conversation. Okay, so let's jump in to DPP. How do we get to that? Oh, the Bar Mitzvah boy. Oh, so I was speaking to to Shalom last night about the parsha, and he says, "I said, hey, you know, plagues. You'll be talking about the plagues." And so he says, "Oh, don't we have like? Doesn't this parsha have seven of the plagues?" And I thought to myself, or, and I said to him, yes, seven. So why am I saying all this? This is a very long-winded way of saying, we have seven of the 10 plagues in this Torah portion. So, and, and, and we've already done like the first two readings with no plagues. Oh, I know what he asked me. He said, is there one plague a reading? And I said, no, because you and I, we did already the first two readings. No sign of plagues yet. Yet is the operative word. We're about to get plaguey. It's going to get wild and woolly. So let's jump into the Torah reading. So thus far in the Torah reading of Vaera, we read about God's response to Moses. Moses said to God, why did you send me? The moment, from the moment I came to Pharaoh, it's gotten worse. Why did you send me? And God's response is, you ain't seen nothing yet, number one. Number two, um, I only revealed my lower reality to the you know, basic level stuff, to the patriarchs, to you, you're going to get the full miraculous reality of my existence. Another angle on it was the patriarchs never complained. <laughs> they never asked questions. But you're asking questions. Remember, Shiv and Panam, 70 facets, right? Lots of different angles on this. 
may or may not coincide perfectly, but the, the, you know, the reality is these are just different angles on it. But God reiterates his promise and he says, tell the people, go back to the people, go back to the elders of the, of the Jewish people of, of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, and tell them it's going to happen. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to end this slavery. I'm going to free them, and it's all going to be good. The Torah tells us that Moses reiterates the message to the elders they did not listen. Maybe they could not listen to Moses because of their shortness of breath and the intense amount of labor, of, of work that they were um, in over their heads with. This is where the, the slavery itself really is intensified. And at this point, the people are like, they're so exhausted. They can't even think, you know, higher level stuff, freedom, um, uh, you know, liberation, etc. Then, and this, that was the first reading. The second reading, we trace the lineage of Moses and Aaron, which is an interesting, um, I'm going to call it plot, plot technique. It's like, let's take a break from the narrative to discuss how our main characters got here with a family tree. It doesn't give us a lot of background story, but just gives us the basic family tree of the first three tribes, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Levi being the tribe where Moses and Aaron come from. And it, it, basically, we get enough of the family tree to pinpoint where Moses and Aaron fit into the equation. And we ended the second reading with a, a verse that kind of like was right in the middle of the verse, which we're going to pick it up today, which, that says that, um, on the, that it was on the day that God spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. And that's where we pick it up. So let's, without further ado, let's actually just jump right in. I have it all set. Let's do this. Verse 28, this is chapter, what chapter are we? Okay, chapter 6 of Exodus, verse number 28. So we trace the lineage of Moses and Aaron, and then we said the following. Now came to pass, on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of, Israel, in the land of Egypt, uh, because God spoke to Moses in Midian by the burning bush, but now the dialogue has taken place. The dialogue is now, conversations are happening in Egypt itself. So what happens? Let's continue with our reading today for Tuesday, third reading, Exodus chapter 6, verse 29, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying the following, I am the Lord. Again, using the fourth, you wouldn't know it in the English. Trust me, you can't tell in the English. But in the Hebrew, it's any Hashem, Havaya, the four-letter name of God, yud the Tetragrammaton, whatever you want to call it, just don't pronounce it as it's written, but it's the highest name of God. I am the Lord. Speak, says God, speak to Pharaoh everything that I speak to you. But Moses said before Pharaoh, and this is a callback to a previous conversation or to what he had said before, behold, I am of closed lips. So how will Pharaoh hearken to me? This means whether it's physically, whether it's Closed lips on a higher level. I think we explained last week the idea that Moses is from the... <laughs> Moses starring in Aquaman. Remember we spoke about Moses being from the, uh, from the water realm, the realm of hiddenness, the realm of the secrets. So that sounds like a cool name for a book, the realm of the secrets. So Moses comes from Alma de Iscasio, which is the hidden realm, the secretive realm, in which communication is not the thing. It's all about, you know, being connected to a space and not necessarily articulating it. So this is, again, Moses reiterating his claim, his, um, his challenge. Nonetheless, God says, do this and it's going to work, which takes us into Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Let's continue. So the Lord said to Moses, see, 
I have made you a lord over Pharaoh. Now that is probably one of the most important things that you need to know if you're a Moses. He says, first of all, he says the word see. That English word see is a, is a faithful translation of the Hebrew word re, which means see. This is a good translation. I, I sometimes point out where I'm not happy, I'm happy today. God says see. He doesn't say listen. He says see, which I'll, I'm going to share an insight on in a moment. I have made you a lord over Pharaoh. This is going to be the key to success, God tells Moses. As long as you see yourself as inferior, the guy who's not worthy for the job, the guy who can't communicate properly, the guy who no one's going to listen to, as long as you see yourself in an inferior position, you will not be successful. Success will be, will be a product and a result of seeing that you are a lord over Pharaoh. Believe in yourself, not just believe it, but see it. You know, we have um, all these modern, beautiful modern techniques, self-help techniques of like writing down your aspirations or writing down the end goals and, you know, affirmations and looking into the mirror. What was that Saturday Night Live? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn people like me. Remember that? Who remembers that bit? No, no one. I'm not getting any. All right. I think that was an SNL back in the day. I'm talking about like back in the day, right? 80s, 90s, back in my day at least. Anyway, the point is like this, that affirmations and, you know, um, uh, believing, seeing, um, envisioning success, all of these, you know, you have all, all of these ideas have been popularized in the last few decades in books and seminars and workshops and, and videos and whatnot. And, and it's right here in the Torah. Everything, is, everything that's true is in Torah. God says to Moses, you haven't been successful yet. It hasn't worked yet. Nothing has changed on the ground yet. The first thing I will tell you, God says, is see I've made you a lord over Pharaoh. I need you to see this. I need you to see yourself as the boss, as the lord over, over Pharaoh. All right, let's continue. All right, I hope, hope that, that's, that's clear enough. And Aaron, your brother, will be your speaker. Oh, maybe I should emphasize one more time. This is not only true for Moses vis-a-vis -vis Pharaoh. This is true in all of our lives. Let me just drill this down into, 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 for you and I. Any challenge that we're facing, if we really want to overcome it and not just like kind of squeeze by it or get, 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 get knocked down by it, if we really want to overcome a challenge, it's about seeing ourselves as capable conquerors of the challenge. You got to see yourself as a capable and competent conqueror. That's it. That's the message. And Aaron, your brother, will be your speaker. Yeah, he'll be your spokesperson. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let, and, and what's the message? That he let the children of Israel out of his land. But God says now for the, th uh, hold on. I think third time God mentions it's not going to be easy. I think this is the second time that God says he's going to play a role. God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will increase my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And now we get a little bit of insight into why hardening Pharaoh's heart is advantageous, at least for vis-a-vis -vis the miracles. If Pharaoh lets the Jewish people go right away, well, then you ain't going to get 10 plagues. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And that means, 
and that means that Pharaoh will be obstinate. He will be, um, what's obstinate? Obstinate is, what's another word for it? Um, why am I blanking on the, on the, stubborn, thank you. Yeah, that's right. Pharaoh's going to be stubborn. And because he's going to say no to letting you go, therefore that will give me more opportunities to flex my muscles, says God, and to increase my signs and my wonders, a.k.a. the plagues, in the land of Egypt. And you should know, by the way, um, because we're talking about this, that there are many different angles to understand what the role of the plagues were and what the role of Harding Pharaoh's heart was. And we're not, I'm not dealing today with the issue of free choice. We'll deal with that for another time. It's going to happen this week, but not, not, today's not the day. Um, you know, the plagues were an education, not only for Pharaoh and Egypt, but they were an education for the Jewish people as well. They were an education for the Jewish people, and not only then in that generation, but today as well. The education is that God runs the show. Now, that doesn't mean that God always intervenes. I think we had a conversation about this Sunday at um, Kabbalah and Coffee. It's not that God will always intervene, swoop in, and rescue someone in distress. We would wish, we, we hope, we would love for that to happen. We would absolutely love for that to happen. Whenever we were in a pickle, if God would come in, swoop in, and save the day, that would be amazing. Collectively, when, when, when the Jewish people or humanity itself is in, a, is in a difficult spot, that God should come in and fix everything, that would be amazing. It's not how it works. But we believe that God can do it. And we believe that we, and we have clarity as to what's right and what's wrong. And, what, and, and a lot of this, a lot of this comes from the Exodus story and the message of the plagues. Every plague has a message. It's not just a punishment, although it was, and the commentaries trace Mida Kenegan Mida, measure for measure, how every single plague that afflicted Egypt was exactly the punishment for something they did against the Jewish people. They harmed the Jews with the Nile River. Their Nile River got, got, um, got, got struck. Everything, everything is, is, is Mida Kenegan Mida, measure for measure. Not a random uh, collection of ten plagues, but precisely designed to punish the Egyptians for exactly what they did. But on another level, every plague is also a lesson, an educational lesson. In the futility of the Egyptian beliefs and, and plans and the eternality of, of, of the divine. So this is perhaps uh, another reason behind the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, as the verse says, and meaning as a result of hardening Pharaoh's heart, right? as a result, I will increase my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, which means that this will give an opportunity to bring more plagues, which is more punishment, but also more education for then and for now. But Pharaoh, God says, will not hearken to you. He's not going to listen. And I will lay my hand upon the Egyptians once again. It's important to remember, God does not have a hand to lay. This is not a physical hand. But God is saying he's going to strike the Egyptians. And I will take my legions, my people. Oh, this is, ooh, this is big. Big. First time Jews are referred to in military terms. I will take my legions. Legions, like um, tzivais. Tzivaisai. Uh, legions are like uh, in an army. Like a, a group of soldiers. I will take my legions, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt with great judgments. Great judgments for the Egyptians. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Hey, education for the Egyptians as well. They shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand over Egypt 
and I will take the children of Israel out of their midst. I mean, you can't get any clearer than this communication from God to Moses. All of this, 1, 2, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. These five verses contain the communication of, from God to Moses in Egypt about what's about to happen, what is headed right down, right down the, uh, the pipe over here with the plagues. So, verse 6, Moses and Aaron did. As the Lord commanded them, so they did. We're still not there yet. Still not there. Still intros. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So, if you ever wonder how old, how much older Aaron was than Moses, the answer is three years. Moses was 80, Aaron was 83, Miriam was 86. Three years apart. It was Miriam. Three years later, Aaron was born. Three years later, Moses was born. By the way, remember when, uh, remember when we said that there was a miracle that Moses' mother gave birth to him at the age of 130? Remember like we spoke about that last week, like how it was a miracle? Such an old age. Um, I mean, Aaron was born at 127. So... Or was she 110, 110 or 130? Um, either way, she was, uh, she was quite advanced in age. And the other kids were also pretty miraculous, having o- only been three years um, younger or three or six years, sorry, three or six years older, i.e. earlier in her life, having given birth to them. Either way, her three kids were born in her advanced age. Okay, so that is, that is reading number three, just going through the story. Let's go back and let's take a look at some Rashi. Um, okay, let's start with chapter 7. So God says, I made you a Lord over Pharaoh. Lord in Hebrew is Elohim, at least here. Translations in the English are inconsistent. At best, here, the, when it says Lord, the Hebrew word is Elohim. Now, Elohim is actually usually a divine term. But it all, sorry, a term referring to Hashem, to God. But here, it's more colloquially, it's more colloquial, where it's, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but either way, where it's not about God. God is saying, I've made you an Elohim. I've made you a Lord, a leader. Rashi says, what is Elohim? A judge and a chastiser. Interesting. A judge and a chastiser to chastise him with plagues and torments. Holy cow. Look at that. Right? You're going you're gonna to be, you're going to get into him. You're going to get under his skin. You're going to torment him with these plagues. This is your role, Moses, to Pharaoh. You will be a thorn in Pharaoh's side, to say the least. That's basically the, the short of it. Um, some grammatical stuff that we're, we're going to skip. Okay, you shall speak. What's the process? Once every message. You shall speak once every message as you have heard it from my mouth and Aaron, your brother, will interpret it and explain it in Pharaoh's ears. So you're going to say it once and then Aaron's going to run with it. Okay, I will harden. Now let's take a look at Rashi. Since Pharaoh behaved wickedly and defied me, and I know full well that there is no delight among the nations to make a wholehearted attempt to repent, It is better for me that his heart be hardened so that I can increase my signs and my wonders in him 
and you will recognize my mighty deeds. And so is the custom of the Holy One, blessed be He. Rashi seems here to try to explain the, uh, the absence of free choice. And he says a few things. Since Pharaoh behaved wickedly and defied me, and I know full well that he doesn't really care, that they don't really care to repent, so then it's better that he stays obstinate so that I can increase the signs and wonders and so that you can recognize my mighty deeds. That's the way Hashem rolls. As Rashi continues to say, he brings retribution on the nations so that Israel should hear and fear. As it is said, I've cut off the nations. Their towers have become desolate. And he said, surely you, were, you will fear me. You will accept reproof. So from what happens out there in the world, there's a lesson that should be learned for the Jewish people. Nevertheless, in the first five plagues, Rashi says, it does... It does not say, and the Lord strengthened Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh's heart remained steadfast. So the first, so, hold on, this is very important. For the first five plagues, okay, this is very important. In the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In the last five plagues, God helps him. God helps him remain obstinate. Okay, first five plagues, God did not strengthen Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart remained steadfast. That was his own doing. After the first five, then God steps in. I feel very tempted to jump in on this. Oof. I feel very tempted. You know what? I, I'm going to pull the trigger. All right. I'm jumping in. That's it. I'm jumping in. All right. How do we reconcile free choice? I said I wasn't going to be today, but hey, you know, sometimes you can't even trust a rabbi. So I'm going to let me jump in with an idea from, I believe... Ramban, Nachmanides. I don't remember if it's Nachmanides or not, but I believe it's him. And I believe it's Nachmanides, or maybe Maimonides. Oof, one of those two. Ramban or, Ram, or Rambam. They almost sound the same in Hebrew. So one of those two says that Pharaoh, by repeatedly being obstinate for the first five plagues, saying, no, 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 no. No matter what, I'm not letting the people go. He became so, I'm going to borrow a term here, not literal, but figurative. He became so addicted to being stubborn and obstinate and saying no and, and holding the Jewish people despite the, the, just the, the, the havoc that was, that was falling on Egypt, that at that point he almost couldn't say yes. He almost couldn't let them go even if he wanted to. Um, in the language of from what I recall from the commentary, is God created it in the nature of a human being that once they've repeated a behavior a certain amount of times, habit becomes second nature, which becomes actually first nature. In other words, it becomes the nature of the person. And it then becomes extremely and profoundly difficult to break that pattern of behavior. So when we say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, did God supernaturally harden Pharaoh's heart or did God create the double down gene in the universe in human, in, in human beings where it's hard to back off once we've pushed so far? You know what I'm talking about? You ever, have you ever been in an experience where like you're in a debate with someone or whatever it is, someone says this, you say that, or they say whatever it is, and everyone takes positions, you know, kind of against each other. And at some point, like, 
you feel like maybe you should back off your position, but you're like, well, I went so far, I can't say, I can't back off it now, right? That because and the more you go, the further you go, the harder it is, the more difficult it is to back off the position. Because like if you weren't willing to back off the position at a relatively early stage when, when not a lot of damage has been done, what, now you're going to back off the position after all this damage has been done because you haven't backed off your position? Now you're going to back off the position? It becomes so much, it becomes exponentially more difficult to let go once you've held on and caused negative consequences. It's, it's paradoxical. It's almost like the more negative consequences, consequences have, 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 have occurred because of you know, holding on, the harder it is to let go. Because again, that means that the negative happened and I let go of my position, I have nothing left. So if I have my position that I'm still holding on to, at least I can say, which is not true, but at least in my head I can tell myself I won on some level. Everything got destroyed, but I wanted impact down. But if I back down and the negative happens, so then what? Why not I back down in the beginning before the first plague? Like, now I'm just a loser, right? Now I'm just someone who doesn't have their position and got hit and got, and got all these negative consequences. So, so, so I, I lost everything. So sometimes we hold on to a position that is clearly destructive and self-destructive only because we feel like there's no alternative. Now, let me just clarify. This is, a, this is not a healthy approach. My, my intention of elaborating on this is to say that I think it's in all of our experiences to whatever level, subtle or, 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 or less subtle, more, more or less subtle, but it's part of the human condition. But that doesn't make it less foolish. I mean, it's still silly. It's like somebody goes to Vegas, right, and they're betting, right, and they're losing money, and they lose, they're down a thousand. Now they're thinking, okay, I'm down a thousand. So two options, right? Option number one is cut losses and just, you know, go back to the hotel room and enjoy. Option two is I'm going to make it back. <laughs> okay? This is, this, this is how Vegas, this is how the house wins, right? It's people trying to make it back as opposed to saying, all right, it is what it is. Pharaoh is thinking, all right, I lost, I lost, I lost, I lost, I lost, but maybe I'll still win. Nope, maybe that's the one. So is he hardening his heart or he, he can't even not harden if he wanted to almost? So according to this commentary, it's not that the free choice was taken away from him. What it means when it says that God strengthened or hardened Pharaoh's heart is that God created human nature in such a way that when you double down and triple down, quadruple down, quintuple down so many times, just you can't get your, you can't dig yourself out of it. it I mean, you could, but it's very hard to. It's very hard to. And maybe that's what it means. According to this commentary, that's what it means. God didn't like supernaturally like take away his free choice. He's now a puppet. No. He dug himself into a hole that he almost can't get out. Joy, I saw you before. Well, it's kind of like in my industry. If you hit buy instead of sell, you don't establish a position because you made a mistake. But a lot of brokers do. They say, no, I didn't make a mistake. I'm going right. to take it because I'm meant to do that. When you really don't mean to do it. Right. He was stubborn and, and hard. I mean, he was stubborn. And he said, no, you can't push me around. Right. I am the boss. I can push you around. Right. Right. And once, and once you're in that space of boss, 
right? Like, to let go of that, they feel, the person feels, in this case, the Pharaoh feels that he's then lost everything. Not only are the plagues, but then he's now lost. See, if he, if he would have said yes at the beginning, he would have been like um, on Time Magazine, what would be the equivalent then, on the Pyramid, Mag- whatever it is. He would be on the cover as the humanitarian of the year, the man of the year. He's a guy who went ahead and like freed the slaves. Oh, he would have been doing tours and like, he would have been, you know, just Nobel Prizes, Nobel Prize Prizes. He would have won it all. And he would have felt good about it. What happens? He says no. And now Egypt slowly starts crumbling. No. Crumbles. No, 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 no. Five times no. The place is falling apart. Now he's going to let go. Now when he lets go, it's going to come from a place of weakness, like you said. Right? Whoops, I made a mistake. Who wants to admit that? Especially when it's been devastating. Especially. The more devastating, the worse it feels to give up, to give in. That's the crazy. You would think the, the tighter the squeeze, the easier it is to let go. No. The tighter the squeeze, the more the person wants to hold on. This is the crazy quirk of human psychology. Now, we, it's what, here's the thing. When I say crazy, what I mean is I don't know that I could explain it other than just saying it, this is what we do. I, why? I don't know. I don't think I can give a rational explanation for it because a person doesn't want to lose face. But you could argue and say, well, why? Well, who cares? Just let, let go and, 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 and stop the devastation. You, you can't really rationalize it, but, what, but, what, but we know it so innately that we're like, yeah, this is, <laughs> whoops, this is, we're all kind of wired like this. It's a crazy part of the human condition. It's, it's wild. Donna? Yeah, Donna. I mean, I feel in the justice system when it works correctly that all of that is neutralized, like we've seen it in a couple of high-profile cases just this past month, where like we thought there was going to be hung juries and things because it seemed like there were two camps. But when the jury listens to the judge's instructions, then they kind of let go of ego right, and try, try to do the right thing. It can happen. I would say that the more, it, it's almost like, you know, I, the more one has lost, the harder it is to give up. So may I mean, listen, whenever, whenever it happens that a person is able to, you know, just, you know, make the right call in whatever context, that is a blessing. The crazy thing about the human condition is that the more one is lost, the more one fights. That's the way also, it is. Also, they needed guidance. Like the jury needs guidance. They could just do it on their own, you know. Yeah. But I'm saying. Yeah. So we need the guidance. We, we need, need the, the guidance. guidance. We need the guidance. And, and yeah, we, we. We need the Torah. <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need a lot of Torah. Hey, that's why we're here, right? Have Torah. So, um, so that's one angle on it. There's another angle. I'll just mention one more. And this other angle says, I think what I told you was Rambam, Maimonides. Oh, I don't even know. I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm still, I'm still not sure. Okay. The, the other one that I want to mention says that after the fifth plague, when Pharaoh was 
kind of breaking. And he might have otherwise said, okay, get out of here. The truth is, he didn't want the Jews to go. If you asked him in a very honest conversation, after the fifth plague, or by the sixth plague, Pharaoh, you have two choices. Do you want the Jews to stay or to go? Do you want Jewish, do you want the Jews to be slaves or to be free? You know what he would say? Slaves. Why would he say go? Only because of the plagues. In other words, it's not that he want, it's not that he's really liberating the Jewish people. He's trying to end the pain that's being caused. This is again a different a different angle on this. So I'm not going to try to reconcile, uh, you know, to, to blend these two approaches. These, this is a different approach. Which means that if Pharaoh would have said, go, let's say I plague number six, plague six hits, go. That's not an authentic expression of Pharaoh's desire. He doesn't authentically mean go. What he means is stop the plague. You with me on this? He doesn't really want the Jews gone. He just wants the plague stopped. So God says, I'm going to stop the plague. And once the plague stops, then you'll be able to decide what you want to do. It's like any, any deal that we make with God in a moment of crisis. And when the crisis passes, we're like, deal's off. <laughs> there's no more crisis, right? I only made a deal because there was a crisis. Now that there's no crisis, I'm pretty sure we're good now, right? So this is, this is what was going on with Pharaoh. So when the Torah says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, according to this angle, it means that God just took away the pressure from the plague, sorry, the pressure of the plague, which then let Pharaoh resume his true desire, which was to keep the Jews enslaved. Just reminds me of like the whole construct in, in Jewish philosophical and, and, and mystical thought about like what a person really wants. It's very hard sometimes to know what you actually want. Not what you want, but what you really want. A person says about a lot of things, I want that. But you can always press further and go deeper and say, well, why, why do you want that? And oftentimes, the answer is not because, just because I want it. Oftentimes, the answer is, well, I want this because I want that. Yeah, say a person, yeah, you, want to go to, you want a job? You want a good job? Yeah. I want a good job. Why? I want to make a lot of money. Why? I want to buy nice stuff. Why? I want to feel good about myself. Ah, oh, okay. So then you want to feel good. So, one second, so hold on one second. So if you would feel good about yourself, so we could bypass all the, uh, all the other layers, could we just like cut to the chase here? You want to feel good? All right. I got, I got, a, I got a Torah for you, right? I mean, like, there are other ways to achieve that, right? So, so the point is in life, there's a lot of times we say, I want this, I want that, I want the other. And really, it's not about those things. There's something much deeper. And sometimes we're not even aware of what the, you're peeling back, peeling the layers of, 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 of Ratzon. In Hebrew, it's called Ratzon. Ratzon means will or desire. What do I want? But there's Chitzonius Ratzon, there's external layers of, of will, and then Panimus Ratzon, then deeper layers of will. There's what you say you want, but then there's what you really want. And again, it's not just one, it's not just two layers. It's sometimes layer after layer after layer. And, and you know, we might go through life and never really even know what it is that we really wanted. 
we thought we wanted this, that, or the other. Well, what do we really want? Why did we want that? This gets, this gets kind of trippy. The point is like this, just to bring it back to, bring it back to Pharaoh. What does Pharaoh want? He wants to let the Jews go? No. He wants relief from the plagues. So God gave him what he wanted. He gave him relief from the plagues. And then Pharaoh said, all right, so I still want my slaves also. When Fa- if Pharaoh would have said go, if he would have said go, that would not have been an authentic representation of his will. That would not have been a free expression, a pure and honest and authentic expression of his desire. He did not want the Jews to go. He wanted the plagues to stop. So God took away the plagues, and then Pharaoh reasserted what he wanted. This is captured. When we say that God, Pharaoh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, doesn't mean, again, supernaturally God tied his hands. It means that he took away the external pressure that would have otherwise coerced him into letting go. Why did he stop? Why did God stop after the 10th? What happens after the 10th plague? All right, I guess it has to end some point. Right? Even plague number 10, Pharaoh lets the Jewish people go. He doesn't really want them gone. How do I know this? Because six days later, yeah? Six days later, what's Pharaoh doing? He's in the chariots chasing the Jews. He wants them back. He doesn't want them gone. Even after the 10th plague, when he said go, he chased them out in the middle of the night. Moses, get the people, get out of here. I don't want to see you guys again. Go. He's pushing them out. Fast forward a week, chariots chasing by the sea. He didn't want them gone. He never wanted them gone. At some point, the story had to end. After 10, it's a nice round number. The story ends. He sends them out. But he still didn't mean it. That's why you need a splitting of the sea. Or more precisely, the collapsing of the sea. All right, let's jump back in to our text. Um, okay well there you go so much for my commentary God says the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand Rashi says my hand a real hand (laughs) whoops (laughs) look at that I did the whole like it's not really a hand and then Rashi says no Yad Mamish a real hand to strike them um, I don't think it means, I'm still going to say, I'm, I, I'm not giving up yet, okay? I'm not giving up yet. I still don't believe that Rashi means that a hand comprised of five fingers and fingernails and, and uh, uh, joints. I don't, I, I'm just going to go out there on a, on, a, on, a, on a limb and say Rashi does not mean that a literal hand descended from heaven to facilitate the plagues. What Rashi why does Rashi say Yad Mamish a real hand? What's the meaning of a real hand? Um, how are we going to find out? Let's see if we can find out. Give me a second. Let's see what we can find over here. I'm going to try to look up. Hold on. My hand. How come there's no Rashi here? Hmm.
Um, I'm looking to see if I can find any commentaries on Rashi that explain it. Can't see anything right now. Okay. One second. Okay, Ibn, Ibn Ezra says, anthropomorphically, it's not literal. Rashi says, this must, this must be translated literally, hand, not power. I will lay my hand upon Egypt to smite them. Um, so if we have Fiskuni, uh, no. Gurarie. The Maral Prague has something on this. Okay. All right. So here's the deal. I'm looking. I'm looking for the commentaries here, and I see some stuff about why Rashi says literal hand when he doesn't mean literal hand because there's no literal hand that God does not have a body to have a literal hand. So the commentaries are saying that it means like a hand as opposed to a finger. A finger indicates only like one measure a hand is a full measure of, of plagues. I'm seeing a few different things in the commentaries, but I'm trying to look through them very quickly so that I don't keep you guys uh, in limbo. Do, 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 do. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's the story for the reading. Okay, that kind of takes us to the end of the third reading. I'll share my screen just so we can kind of sum, uh, uh, sum this up. So what we learned today on this very special edition, birthday edition of DPP, is that to be successful, to be a confident conqueror, you have to be confident in your own ability. You have to see yourself as a lord over Pharaoh. Whatever your Pharaoh is, you have to see yourself, you have to picture yourself in a position of success in a space of ability and not the opposite. So that's number one. Number two, hardening Pharaoh's heart. Just going through some themes today. Hardening Pharaoh's heart. We said before, Rashi says it was only the, the, it was the first five plagues where Pharaoh hardened his own heart and only the last five plagues that God steps in. I gave two explanations about this. One, where it's not that God, you know, pulled out an exception for Pharaoh. It's all of us. All of us have that Pharaoh gene, if you will, or have that um, stubborn gene where the more we double down and the worse it gets because of that, the harder it is to let go. And that's a, it's not to be celebrated. It's a cautionary tale. The message is, let's not be like Pharaoh. Another angle on this, as I mentioned just a moment ago, is that Pharaoh actually didn't want to let the Jewish people go. He only was, might have said go out of the pressure because of the pressure of the plagues. So God takes away the pressure of the plagues and that allows Pharaoh to reveal his true colors. And the message for that, which I did not translate into our lives is, what, and this, it's an open-ended question, what are our true colors? What do, we, what do we really want? We know what Pharaoh really wanted. He wanted the Jews as slaves. But what, what do we really want? And are we going to let, are we going to allow that true and deep desire to not come through, or are we going to allow that to be expressed? In other words, are we going to live our lives in the space of external will? Like, yeah, I want this, I want that. Or are we going to assert what we really want from life? It's like the story of the guy 
who goes to, uh, goes to Florida on vacation. And there he is by the water. And he decides to go fishing. And there's a guy next to him who's fishing. And the guy next to him is catching all this stuff, all this fish. And he's not catching anything. He says to the guy, you're a good fisherman. He says, yeah, I come here every day, I fish. He says, uh, you sell your fish? No, I just give it away to family and friends. He's like, huh, you should sell your fish. He says, why? You make a lot of money. And then what? Then you can uh, hire people to work for you to fish and catch more fish. And then you make so much money, you can buy a boat and not only fish from here, from the shore, you can go out into the water and fish. And then what? You'll catch a lot of fish and sell for a lot of money. And then, then you can buy more boats and have more fishermen working for you and catch more fish. And then, and then you'll sell for more money. And then, and then you'll become rich. And then, and then you can retire. And then, and then you can retire somewhere and, and relax all day and just go fishing. He says, buddy, that's what I'm doing already. So in life, it's easy to get caught up in the externalities and the side, what I would call the side hustles, like I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But what do we really want out of life? What's, what's really the aim? What's really the aim? Judaism helps us hone in on that, about purpose and meaning in life. But really, it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Like, what, 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 is, what is it that we're really about? And then, hopefully, that helps us align our values. So it turns out that this last idea is perfect for a birthday. Because as the Rebbe said, a birthday is a great day to think about where we are and kind of map out the new year. It's like a mini Rosh Hashanah for, uh, not mini, it's like a personal, it's not like, it is a personal Rosh Hashanah for the upcoming year. It's a great day to think about, you know, what we're about and where we want to go for this, you know, what we want to do this year and from a, from a deeper place, and then put the plan into motion to really have an incredible year. So, on behalf of all of us, joy, wishing you a happy birthday, and blessings, and happiness, and just the most incredible things in the, uh, the next stage. All right. Great to see everyone. A quick... Um, so, um, so, the 24th of the today. Yes, Chavdala Tevet, yes. Very special day. Very special day. Chavdala Tevet. It is the, the yard site, the anniversary of the passing of the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. So it's a very appropriate day to, for all of us to, uh, to connect with uh, Chabad Hasidus, which we've, we, always, we always have it interspersed in our, in our class and our discussions, and to, uh, to recommit to the good ways of... Um, of Yiddishkeit and Chassidus and Chabad and all those good things. So um, it's great, great to, to, to mark the occasion today together and to have our own mini fabrengens, which these really are. I mean, we study Torah, but we also have a chance to, to fabreng, which is another thing that you're supposed to do on your birthday. So you got a fabrengen, you got um, introspection. What else? Uh, the Rebbe said a few things. Um, tzedakah. Yeah, study, study Torah, done. Look at this, DPP. It's, it's like the magical tzedakah is part of it. And gathering with friends, we just, we did. What else, what else, what else? Okay. I'm, I'm, remember, I'm, I'm forgetting uh, maybe, maybe a few items, but... Oh, also, a good, a good thing is to take a resolution for the new year, for your new year, um, 
like a mitzvah, either a new mitzvah or doing a mitzvah a little bit extra special than, you know, a little bit more special than before, but something, some positive resolution for the future. So these are just some ideas. The Rebbe actually spoke about the, the significance of a birthday on the occasion of his wife's birthday. And it caught a lot of people by surprise. Because you think of birthday parties as like, you know, like maybe an American thing or like a secular thing, but not like a Jewish thing. The Rebbe's like, no, it's a Jewish thing. Or at least it ought to be a Jewish thing also. It's like, this, it's, it's inspirational, it's meaningful. Anyway, all right, so in honor of your birthday, Joy, we're all, we're all being inspired, and I hope you're inspired, and thank you for, uh, for being part of this, uh, part of our group, part of our family, and it's great to... To all be here together. All right, Ray, Joyce, Sandrine, Sarah, and Donna, it's great to see you all. Have a wonderful day. We'll catch you tomorrow. Thank same you. bat time, same bat Happy channel. Birthday. Yes, we'll see you. Take care, everybody. Thank you.